0: Hello and welcome to Academic Animals, new series of podcasts. This is your host and author, Roger Farr. If you're looking for sweet animal stories like in Watership Down or Babe, then you have the wrong podcast. This series is about my life working as an animal trainer in the film industry. Enjoy the experience. In this episode, I'm going to divulge to you some of the tricks and trade secrets used in the film business to get the right look required when filming with animals. The first little secret I have up my sleeve that has helped me on many occasions when filming is that when I left school at the tender age of 15, I started my first career as a ladies hairdresser. I studied hairdressing, beauty and makeup. Part of the course was making or weaving wigs and toupees. I attended a college in London for three years as a day release student. At around this time I worked full-time learning my hairdressing schools in the top world-class salons like Vidal Sassoon of Bond Street and Leonard of Mayfair. At one time I was assigned as head junior at Sassoon's flagship salon in Bond Street working with Joshua Galvin as my full-time mentor. Joshua's brother Daniel, he was a colour specialist working at Leonard's of Mayfair. I believe now he still works there and has his own very well-established salon. A large part of my training occurred at both these salons. I would meet and work with the world's top and most famous clients, such as royalty, film stars, pop stars, debutantes, even high society hookers. At the time, I had no idea just what an asset this would turn out to be and what soon became my new career working with animals in the film world. On one film called Labyrinth, starring David Bowie, I used a bobtail dog who was called Ambrosius. He had to wear a saddle and carry one of Jim Henson's puppets, a fox called Sir Didymus. In one of the scenes, Ambrosius is seen carrying the full puppet of Sir Didymus across the bog of stench. This was in fact a kind of swimming pool built into the stage floor at Elstree Studios in London. I say full puppet because most of the puppets, including Ambrosius, had body parts for some of the shots. The bog was a revolting mix of water, a variety of oils and paints that create a slimy, revolting-looking gunge. The cocktail was certainly not animal-friendly. Under the surface of the bog was a series of boulders that were set on hydraulic lifts that would pop up at the command of David Bowie, who was playing the bad guy, Jareth. He was the Goblin King – the boulders were spaced out and a little wobbly. My task was to train the dog to jump from boulder to boulder across the bog. To add to the degree of difficulty was apart from them wobbling, when the dog jumped from stone to stone they were not in a straight line but in a slight zigzag or even irregular pattern and the surface of each boulder was very slippery from this oily paint and oil cocktail. The first and obvious problem was that if the dog slipped, he would fall straight into the bog and his fur would be covered and it would be a massive problem to get clean. It would take us at least a day to wash him through and dry him. Jim and I discussed the possibilities to make this shot work safely for the dog. We decided to have the dog fitted with a special made-to-measure leather safety harness and a cableman worked with a fine steel cable would be attached to the perfect point of balance so the dog would not tip or slide out if he falls. Then a fake fur jacket was made to match the dog's original coat and that would cover the safety harness. The next problem was the cableman explained that to work the cable it can only have tension on it if the dog falls. If any tension is applied before the dog may not be able to jump from stone to stone and at the same time keep his footing, the dog has to be committed to the fall before the cableman can react. When that happens, the dog's feet will certainly touch down somewhere in the pool. He will not go in or under, but his feet will break the surface. So I asked the puppeteers if they could make me several pairs of socks or soft booties that match the dog's own original coat. My idea was they would slip over the feet between each take ensuring the dog stays clean. I then produced some long slim plastic bags taken from the caterers. These were the original bags their disposable coffee cups come in. I asked them to save more for me during the coming days and running up to the scene because I was going to require quite a lot. We realised that when the dog ran across the bog and touched the boulders. They will always be wet, sticky and oily. Having been under the surface each time and when setting up for each take and so his feet would get wet every time he stepped on them. The plastic bags and the socks saved the day. Every time we did a take or a rehearsal, the cableman would simply lift the dog up to about my waist height and I would pull off his socks and plastic bags and replace them with fresh ones ready to go again. What I learned from this shoot, and in my hairdressing skills, I used many times over. When filming with my wolf, I would use a special collar that I made and covered with similar fur to her own, ensuring I had ultimate control over her at all times, and at the same time keeping the actors and crew safe in the case of an emergency. Another occasion I was asked to find a little monkey for a film in Belgium. I found this little fella who was just a pet monkey, who belonged to a lovely lady. When I told her, when we wanted to film, she said, Oh dear, that's a problem, because he's just finished filming on another project where he played a laboratory animal that he was portrayed as having been experimented on. They've shaved a small patch on the top of his head. It was only about the size of a medical eye patch, but it was still very visible. Thinking Cap-On, I thought, hmm, how can we achieve this? Then it came to me. I started by taking pictures and measurements, then got to work making a kind of wig of a similar looking but artificial fur. I called it his hat. We were filming for the whole day and nobody realised this little monkey was in fact bald on top and was wearing a little hat or cap. Also the monkey took no notice of it at all. When filming a TV series in England with a little dog that was the actual star of the show, he was so famous that for insurance reasons he was not allowed to go in my vehicle. He had his own chauffeur to pick him up from the hotel and driven around to different locations. When he arrived and before going on set, he would be the first in line for the makeup department of head of all the actors. All he required was a touch of white makeup under each eye. Not close to it, but just about an inch below the eye. A bit like a soldier putting on stripe of camouflage makeup. Apparently this helped the cameraman to get a better lighting to show up the dog's eyes more. The next request may have worried a lot of trainers and certainly the general public and of course any animal lover. It was a burial scene. They wanted a dog to play dead and lay still in a grave as earth was thrown over him. Not bury him completely, but just you see the initial, the start of the actual burial where soil is landing on his face. But he mustn't move, he mustn't twitch or flinch. The eye must not blink if soil lands on it. And finally, of course, he must not wag his tail because he's supposed to be dead. And if possible, can we reduce his panting or breathing? As it turned out, the hard bit was to stop the tail wagging. Here's how we did it. My suggested dog for this was my best trained film dog who was a mixed breed. This is one I rescued from a dog's home in England. I called him Punch. He was the follow-up to a previous rescue dog that I called Judy, named after the famous puppet duo, Punch and Judy. The dog was first trained to lay down on his side and then caressed and praised for doing so. After a short time, he was rewarded with a game of fetch with his favourite tennis ball. Punch was what we trainers call bull mad Once he was used to being in the hole, we would drop things on him like jumpers, gloves, soft toys or a blanket and rewarded him for not moving. At some point he was blindfolded with a loose scarf over his eyes and he could pour it away if he wanted to. Then we started with light soil or peat, maybe sand, dropping it first of all on his bottom. Just very small amounts at a time so he could feel it but nothing heavy. Please don't think it was ever our intention to cover him partially or bury him, no. The shot was just as though it was the beginning of a burial, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, so to speak, then cut. We needed to show a little soil, land on his face and eyes. That was the important shot. Once this was accomplished, the camera could cut and we would use a dummy with similar fur to show the whole body disappearing under the mass of soil now he was used to being blindfolded a medical eye patch the normal kind of patch found in a medical kit was used instead this is where hairdressing skills were required i took some trimmings of hair from under his legs chest and bottom region just very small amounts that so nobody could see that we'd taken hair the hair i used to make a kind of mini toupee and it was fixed onto this eye patch A hole was pierced through the centre to enable me to fix a plastic eye that I'd stolen from my daughter's teddy bear that just happened to have the same colouring as the real eyes of the dog. Now we had an eye-protective covering that looked just like the real dog. We laid him down in the hole, dropped light spadefuls of soil on him and he never moved, except that is for the tail. He wanted to keep wagging it, knowing and anticipating that then this moment of stardom was over, he would have his ball to play with. Eventually he stopped wagging his tail and the idea worked. His false eyes stared up at the shovel as the soil landed directly over his face and he didn't blink or move. For all intents and purposes, he was a dead dog. Often I've been asked to sedate an animal to make it appear to be dead. For any film production, this always seems the simplest and quick answer to solve their problem of the animal moving. Again, this is a gigantic no-no for me. The reason for me is clear. When you or I go under anaesthetic, we always have to sign a form to waive all responsibility should anything go wrong. There's always a chance, albeit a small chance, we may never come round. An animal does not have that choice and he might not come round and that would be my fault. So this is a definite no. I feel so strongly about this that I've put a standard sentence within every single contract that I've sent out. We will never drug animals for filming purposes. So don't ask. When using makeup of any kind I am always very wary because in the early days people thought it was a job of a makeup artist and that it would be easy for them. This is not the case. The animal doesn't stand still when they tell it to, or the makeup could be detrimental to the animal's fur or skin and may not be appropriate and safe to use. Makeup close to the eyes or close to the mouth is also a big no-no for me. Their eyes, just like ours, are extremely sensitive and cannot be played with. Many types of makeup can contain animal products. In the theatre, they use what's called grease paint. The fat or grease could be or taste like food. This will cause the animal to be continually licking and it clogs into the fur and makes a horrible mess. Normally I don't allow human makeup or film grease paint to be used. It is not the same and it doesn't apply or behave the same on fur as it does on us humans. Years ago I learned this the hard way, after I was persuaded by a film production company to permit their specialist colour artist to do a full body colour application on one of my dogs. They promised it would easily wash out. Well, it didn't wash out. I was furious, not just with them for getting it wrong, but with myself for being naive and stupid enough to believe them. The dog wasn't harmed, but he did look a very bright, pretty pink for weeks afterwards. The manufacturers and the production came to my house several times in an attempt to remove the color from that day, I vowed never again. I've seen color changes in animals and nowadays they are harmless products, especially designed for animals. If I'm asked to use anything these days, I'll say okay, but it must be tested on humans and babies first and then I normally do it myself. That way I know what products are safe and easy to remove. Sometimes a simple dirty down is required. This is normally done with natural safe organic powders of ash, a type of charcoal or Fuller's earth. Making an old dog look like a young puppy simply by using certain makeup is possible. Because of my insistence on any makeup that is used must be very easy to remove, it creates a different problem for me because normally anything that comes off that easy will come off on anything it touches. A white dog, enhanced with white powder, will cover the actors, their clothes and everything on set. I did recently take a dog on set who had gone very grey around the mouth and forehead. This dog was already well established in the client's previous commercials and they wanted to do follow-on commercials with the same dog. If I'd presented him as he is now, naturally grey, he would never have got the job. On the morning of filming I took him for an early morning walk and then on returning to our dressing room I started to apply this very easily removed makeup on his face. He looked like a young puppy. He looked beautiful. But I knew if anyone strokes him the colour will come off and the game would be over. Of course, this only worked because, fortunately, the story didn't involve any actor contact. Before I took him on set, I asked everyone not to touch the dog because he needs to concentrate on his action and if everybody plays with him when he arrives, he'll want to greet them and play with them and then we will have the distracted dog where we need him to work. I just had to make sure and be extra careful he didn't rub up against anyone when he came onto the set. I left at the end of the day having done a good job and feeling a great sense of self-satisfaction and achievement not only as a trainer but as a makeup artist even if I do say so myself. I was very impressed with the makeup job. I only had to brush him and it was all gone or I could have given him just a quick light shampoo. Either way he was back to normal very quickly. It is sometimes necessary to make an animal shiny This is quite easy to achieve using specifically prepared products from a decent pet store that have been tried and tested and well established in the market. Now in spite of what you may think about dentists, I have with the aid of a good special effects team and good training techniques come up with a safe and harmless kind of way for a dog to wear false teeth. It does not work with every dog and of course I'm cheating a little bit to get the effect of showing teeth like a snarl or a growl. It totally depends on the dog's character and its abilities because it's done by the dog being taught to hold something like a plastic washing up bottle. If he's a good retrieve dog then he can hold his new rubber gnashers himself to enhance the existing teeth. Nothing is glued, screwed or tied in place. If the dog will not hold an item or has done it long enough for him to be tired of it then he simply opens his mouth and drops them. Some can even be modelled and made to show a snarl or a growl Add a little sound and voila, you have an aggressive, killer-looking dog that in fact is the most gentle and sweet and friendly dog you could ever wish to meet. Then there are the horror stories. Normally I reserve judgement on these because it's more often than not just gossip or hearsay and nobody ever wants to testify when questioned or challenged on this, that they've witnessed something terrible. And in all probability it turns out to be gross exaggeration or, well, I didn't actually see it myself, I just heard about it kind of story. One time when I was working in Turkey, I saw with my own eyes and also witnessed by an assistant trainer, the film production makeup artist, and I use the words very lightly makeup artist, do a complete colour change on a calf. He painted it two different colours using normal household gloss paint. I was shocked. I was shocked. As the paint started to dry, it became like toffee. Then, as it dried, it became hard. I complained to the producer and the production manager that were present how this was the worst abuse of animals I've ever seen. The Turkish interpreter actually cried as he also witnessed the abuse and related my complaints to the production people who just looked at me shrugging their shoulders as if I was from another planet. They did later confess to me how much they loved and respected animals. How touching I thought. I want to punch somebody but I had to remind myself I'm in another country with a different culture and things are dealt with differently here. I had to show my disgust and anger and then I walked away. I and the other trainer sat in tears at the airport the next morning. I have no idea what happened to this poor animal when they'd finished abusing it, but for sure I don't think it could have survived. On a much happier note, one can see at dog shows nowadays, even some TV programs, dogs having futuristic hair colours. They do incredibly creative, mind-blowing styles and colours that takes lots of practice and skill and using colours that are safe and well tested. I can live with that. However, when it comes to my animals, I prefer the natural look. No colours, no fancy shapes, just a little trim perhaps around the eyes when it's deemed necessary to clear their field of vision. On a final note, over the years I've built up a small selection of false paws and false tails of both dogs and cats just to get some quick and easy solution for some shots, saving the animal being actually worked themselves on set. This has paid off many, many times and it gives the animal a rest in between shooting when his artificial tail, or paw, is doing all the work for him. Well, that's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. This is Roger and Out. Here is today's animal joke. I asked a farmer why his chickens had three legs. He said they're a very rare and special breed. They are bred for meat and having three legs, it means they can feed more people. It's also why they are very much faster than any other breed of poultry bird I know. I asked, what do they taste like? He said, I don't know, I never caught one. Don't forget to send me your favourite animal-related joke and hopefully it can be part of a future podcast. It can be old or new, you can steal it or borrow it or you can make it up on your own, but please send it, I would love to hear it. I will send a special thank you present to the person whose joke is selected for use. If two or more jokes sent are the same, then unfortunately it will be the first person's joke to arrive that will get the present. Good luck. Thanks for joining me here today. I sincerely hope you've enjoyed today's little ditty. Why not visit the website and see for yourself some of the commercials, the photographs and the film clips of our work. The website is www.academic-animals.com Can I ask you to subscribe and press the like button? It's really appreciated. Thanks very much. Now it's official. You're my new best friend. Lots of love. Roger and out.